Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. All right, church, where well, we are in for a treat this morning. One of my best friends in all of the world, I call him Uncle Don Don, is here to preach. Uh, Donnie Martin is the pastor of the one and only Antioch Baton Rouge. And he is an incredible communicator of the word. All right. Now, one of the things I love about Donnie is that he does not allow his small stature to to affect his anointing. So if you can help him get taller by leaving him some serious love, Mr. Don Don. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much. It is so great to be here. A lot cooler than it is in Baton Rouge right now. I'm pretty sure there's nothing between here and Canada but a barbed wire fence. That wind blows right through your bones, my goodness. But it is an honor to be here this morning. Uh, J.D. and Liz are some of Brian and I, my wife Brianna, uh, and I's dearest friends. Um, we love to laugh together. We love to eat together. We even cry together at times. We both love to hunt. We both love clothes, but I ain't going to lie. I can't wear skinny jeans. Uh, because if I did, I'd look like an olive on a toothpick. And Donnie Martini is not a good name for a pastor, if you know what I'm saying. You know, there, there are things that we are, are similar in. There are things that we're not similar in. Uh, J.D.'s way more uh, emotionally aware of what's happening in his life. and I, He helps me become more emotionally aware. Uh, you know, uh, J.D. loves to exercise, loves to work out. Uh, I don't, you know. Um, I ain't going to lie, man. When, when, you know, Eric Liddell, the Church of Fire guy, says that when I, God made me to run, and when I run, I sense God's pleasure. It's not the way God made me. God made me to eat. When I eat, I sense God's pleasure. When I run, I don't feel anything but the judgment of God and the fires of hell lapping at my lungs and lapping at my thighs. He's made us all just a little bit different. Oh my goodness, there's purple up here. It's the glory of God. I think the anointing is here. Thank you, God, that there is the royalty of purple and gold in heaven and no burnt orange. Nothing burnt about heaven. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to read God's word and we're going to pray here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, as a prisoner of, for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. If you would pray with me. Father, we ask, God, that you would help us to be more aware of the calling that we've received. And Father, we acknowledge that we cannot walk in that calling apart from the help of the Holy Spirit and apart from the help of the body of Christ. So Lord, I'm asking this morning specifically that you would clarify our calling and that we would leave more aware of the things that try to rob us from walking out our calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want to look at this passage here in Ephesians. You know, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then... Uh, other translations would start out by saying, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And, and many teachers, have, you've heard say, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. That's right. 
And so what we see preceding this passage about our calling is the Apostle Paul praying in Ephesians 3.14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, through whom we all derive our name. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, how rich do you think God is? I would say gloriously rich. Out of His glorious riches that He would strengthen us with power from His Spirit to our inner being, so that Christ could dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we'd be rooted and established in love, and that we'd have power together with all of God's family to know how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ. And we might know this love that surpasses knowledge. Right? Have you ever been in a place that you just knew that Jesus loved you, but your knower only knew it in your head? I know it in my head that Jesus loves me, but I'm not really feeling like Jesus loves me. I'm not feeling it in my soul. I'm not feeling it in my spirit or my inner man. And I think Paul teaches us something here. You know, we need to connect with the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. We need to connect with Him on a daily basis. But I can tell you that being married for almost 19 years now, right? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. For 18, I meant to say. 18 years now. Uh, while we choose to love each other every day, we may not feel. <laughs> we may not feel. We don't always feel each other's love every day, Right? But we choose it. And sometimes in our relationship with God, we may not always experience the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But I think Paul teaches us something here. That is, we're not meant to live isolated lives. He says, may you have power together, not by yourself, but power together with all the saints to grasp how high, how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. And so sometimes when I'm having some spiritual amnesia, I need to be with a brother in Christ who's pursuing the purposes of the kingdom. I need to be with a father or a mother, or I need to act like a father or a mother so that I can be one that reveals the love of God to someone else. May we have power together with all of God's family. And now, we live in a culture that really values individualism, and there is some value in individualism, but I think we overvalue individualism at times in a way that it infects our relationship with God. Okay? How does that happen? Well, we can read the Word of God from an individualistic worldview. So here's an example. Uh, most of us love this passage from Jeremiah 29, 11. Probably could even, many of you can say it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And how do we read that? Most of the time, most of us read it in a bathroom on some plaque, right? And we read it like, I'm not going to do that, but... Uh, for I know the plans I have for me, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper me. Plans to give me a hope for the future. But when we see that English word, that three-letter word, you, Y-O-U, I don't think it's the same in the Hebrew or in the Greek New Testament. I believe that, that the Hebrews and the Greeks could learn something from the Texans and from the pe pe people from the South. Because I, think the, I don't think, I know the way that word is translated is plural. It's y'all. Right? So the way that we would read that is, for I know the plans I have for y'all, declares the Lord. Because he's not talking to Jeremiah. He's not just talking to a king. He's talking to all of the people of God. For I know the plans I have for y'all, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper y'all. Plans to give y'all a future, a hope and a future. And that is so true that God is not just in the work of, he does not just want to populate heaven with a bunch of individuals. He wants to save individuals, but he doesn't want to leave them as orphans. He wants to bring them into his family. And we are the family of God, Ephesians 1, when he starts to speak of our calling. 
Our calling is an invitation to participate with God and who He's made us to be and do the things He's called us to do, right? He's adopted us. He's made us heirs of the kingdom. He's given us the down, po- po- the down positive of, of heaven, the Holy Spirit Himself. And we're a part of the people of God. We have the citizenship of heaven because I believe this. When I read the Word of God from Genesis through Revelation, I don't think God is interested in populating heaven with a bunch of individuals, but I believe that God is making a people for His name, who are empowered by His presence. And now, in our life together, the way that we relate to each other, we reveal the character, nature, and purposes of God to the world. I think the only thing that could come close to this primary work of God making a people for His name is God establishing His, his kingdom. And actually, they go together, because how does God establish His kingdom? Through His people, right? The, the, the disciples came to Jesus. They asked Jesus to teach them one thing. Jesus taught them a lot of things, but they only asked him to teach them one thing. Now, if I was them, I would be like, Jesus, teach me how to do signs and wonders. Or Jesus, teach me how to preach like you preach. Or Jesus, teach me how to kick the devils out of people, right? But they didn't do that. They said one thing, God, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray because I believe they had a key to things. They understood that Jesus walked in relationship with the Father. Word of God says he got up every morning. He'd go to a quiet place to spend time with the Father. And even when, when Jesus in John 5, when he's walking uh, through the Galilee, he, there are people at Jericho, there's this guy crying out to be healed. And Jesus said, I'm only going to do what the Father does. And so every sign and wonder he did, he did as he abided in the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what happened. When, he, when they said, teach me how to pray, what did he teach him? He said, uh, our Father. My Father? No. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when he would preach, or he would prophesy into people's lives, and they would get saved, and they would get changed, it's because God would use him to be a door through whom heaven would come to earth. And I believe that's God's will for every single one of us as a disciple of Jesus, that we're to be doors through whom the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. It's not just about having a great insurance plan and dying one day and not going to hell. It's about living in a way now that we are walking with Father, Son, and Spirit, and heaven is coming to earth, to Austin, to Baton Rouge, and beyond. That is God's calling for each and every one of us. I was a youth pastor for about 18 years, about five or seven years too long, and it about killed me. It about wore me out. Uh, but it was great. God met us in the pain and process and all that good stuff, you know. But we'd go to retreats or we'd go to summer camps whenever we would leave. One we went to often was Latham Springs. They would always ask us two questions. How many people got saved and how many people got called to full-time ministry? And I thought the first question makes a lot of sense. It's a good thing to know. You want people getting saved at your camp. But when I heard the second question, how many people are called to full-time ministry? I'm like, well, all of us are. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. He wasn't talking to Timothy. He wasn't talking to Titus or Silas. He wasn't talking to John Mark. He was talking to the church at Ephesus. Every believer has a calling from God. Every believer has this invitation by God to walk with him, to be one whom, through whom he executes his kingdom into the earth. And we're going to learn a few things about the attitude of the calling and the action of the calling here in a moment. So we have a calling to be God's people, You know, I think part of the action of the calling that we'll learn here in Ephesians 4 
Um, he, he says here in verse, that's not quite it. Right, right, here we go, here we go. In, in 14, Ephesians 4.14, actually let's back up to 12. He just says, we, he's given these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, te- pastor, teachers, uh, to equip God's people for works of service. So the purpose of leadership, the purpose of the apostolic, of the prophetic, of the evangelist, pastors and teachers, is to equip all of God's people to walk in their calling. And part of our calling is this. uh, To equip God's people for works of service. So it's not just the pastors who are called to be servants. I mean, I was so delighted. You know, I got to experience a little bit of heaven when I showed up. I saw heaven at this campus through y'all's friendliness. I saw heaven through, through, through the way that you looked at me and the way that you greeted me. I saw heaven. I mean, this might sound really silly, but I saw heaven in how much signage y'all have around this place. Because I could find a bathroom without asking 50 people, right? Heaven is happening around here. And leadership, the purpose of leadership is to equip all of God's people for works of service. Why? So that we all grow in the knowledge of God and we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of God, then we'll no longer be infant snot-nosed Christian brats. You know, no, then we'll no longer be retreat junkies or, or conference junkies. Because actually, at the beginning of this book, in Ephesians 1, I think about verse 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul says that, that in, in Christ, through the church, the fullness of God is made known. The fullness. The way that we get the fullness of God is by being a part of the body of Christ. And it's easy to feel like if you go to a camp or a conference that you're getting the fullness of, of Christ. But you know what? You don't have to live life with those people. You can hear a great message that that church is going to hear often that you may not hear it often. So it feels fresh to you. And you see people around you and you don't see their problems and they don't see your problems. So it feels a lot better. But it's not real. It's not real. A friend of mine says it takes two things to grow up into our calling. God lived older than me. He said the first thing it takes is pain. Now, I can tell you, it does take pain to mature into Christ Jesus, right? Uh, J.D. tells me all the time, Don, Don, you're not going to get swole unless you get sore. And I'm like, bro, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I don't like any soreness. I like to feel good all the time, right? I do. And, and, and you know, but we're not going to grow up in God without experiencing some, some pain. And I can tell you the reality of my own life is when I'm in pain, I pray better. When I'm not in pain, I think I'm doing pretty good. And I think the goodness is a result of my own choices and my own goodness and my own greatness. But it's not. But when pain happens, I pray in a greater way because I'm more aware of my great need for the living God. Each and every one of us have a calling. Part of the calling is to grow up. What does it look like when we grow up? Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God in Christ Jesus. I'll read it here. Follow God's example, Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant sacrifice to God. Ryan and I have had four children over the last 18, not 19 years. And I can tell you that one thing they all had in common when they showed up is they were very, very needy. They were ridiculously needy. They were inconveniencely, that's probably not a word, but needy, right? They would cry 
When they cried, they were saying usually one of three things. I'm hungry, I just pooped my pants, and I, I want to go to bed. And they cry, why? Because they didn't have any other language. And as they started to grow a little bit, they learned to crawl. Before long, they learned to walk. Before long, they learned to talk. Some of them a little quicker than others, but the ones that maybe took a little longer to learn how to talk, they hadn't stopped talking since they learned how to talk. Not to mention any names or anything. You know, but there was this maturing process. But for them to grow up, as they grow up before long, it's just part of their development process. They needed some responsibility. And with responsibility sometimes comes pain. And so in our house, what did that look like? You know, we were a minivan fam forever, you know. And so when, when we had the, our last two kids, Katie and Brecklin, we'd get in the minivan and we would give Briley and Hudson the responsibility of buckling them up. And they didn't always want to because they wanted to get to their seat to watch their movies, but we had to teach them it's not all about you. However, there is a time when we are babies in the Lord and we need to be fed, 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 and we need to be changed. And we need to be t- told to go to bed. But as we grow up, we start to learn that now we get to be a part of this work. Right? I receive. How many of you came to know Jesus because of somebody else? Raise your hand. How many of you, have been, keep your hands up, if you don't, didn't raise your hand because you received Jesus through another person. How many of you know God more because of someone investing in your life? Keep your hands up. How many of you can remember a time that somebody spoke a word, maybe a living word from God to you, that really affected, impacted your life in a powerful way? Keep your hands up. I want us to look around. This is the way that God works. He works in us. And God's will and calling for us is that we grow up and become more and more like Jesus. And here's the deal. We're not going to be spiritually healthy or spiritually mature unless we're relationally mature. That's a good word. We are not going to be spiritually mature unless we're relationally mature. Now, it's easy to think we are. It's easy to go away to conferences. It's easy to, to read our Bible and spend a lot of time with God. It's easily easy to go do a ton of prayer and, you know, come out of there and, and realize that, you know, you know what's happening better than pastors do or churches do. And you just want to do your th- own thing. It's easy to do that, but it's not gonna, we're not going to grow up that way because we have to be in relationship. And even we have to be in relationships where we're called at one point to feed others, where we're called to serve others. And I just want to give a big shout out for the A-teams. Is that what y'all's call here? The A-teams? The, what do y'all call your volunteers? Fit team, serve teams. Way to go. Way to go. Just because of serving, you're enabling other people to show up to experience the friendliness of God, the care of God, to experience God in worship, to hear God's word, and to respond to God. You are walking in your calling. It's a big deal. Way to go. Every single one of us have a calling. And I would even venture to say that many of you were called by God before you knew it. Many of you, God put, God, God put things in your heart when you were younger. And you didn't even realize he put things. Many of you, you know, little girls, you, you may have grown up and, and you love your little dollies and, and dolls and stuff. And you probably put all your dolls in little rows and probably start teaching them. Maybe that's because God's giving you a teaching gift and you're going to be an educator one day. Little boys, you know, that, that maybe love dump trucks or whatever and, and, you know, play that, do that deal. I mean, who knows how God might use you to be a contractor one day. When I was a little boy, before I was a little man, <laughs> y'all are quicker than the South Campus. Uh, 
I would go to church. It was not really known as a life-giving church. It was a, it was a church of Christ. They didn't use instruments. They really believed the Holy Spirit was a retired author. He came down and helped the guys write the book, then went back to heaven and retired, you know, and, and really didn't believe, really what they believed was an Old Testament theology that our salvation is dependent on us. But you know what? As a little boy in that church, I would go to kids' church, kids' ministry time, and I would sit in that room, and I would hear our kids' pastor talking about uh, the different stories, talking about David and Goliath. And I could see myself in that story as David. A little later in life, college and my young adult years, I kind of became like David's brothers who criticized David, but continually growing up to, to be like David, to understand that God's made me to walk with him to destroy giants in other people's lives. I'm made for that. You know, I'd hear those stories, and I'd go to big church, and, 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 and we'd sing, and it wasn't like this. I'm telling you, it wasn't like this. And we'd hear a message, and people would respond during the ministry time. And even, even as a little bitty boy, five and six years old, when people would respond to repent for sins, to get prayer and ministry, or put Jesus on in baptism, I, my body would be covered in goosebumps. And they would go back to put Jesus on in baptism, and whenever they would be baptized, the men and only the men would say, Amen, Amen, Amen. And about halfway back in the middle row, you'd hear this little prepubescent voice say, Amen! Because I knew that heaven was coming to earth and somebody's life was getting changed. Y'all, I'd get up, I'd go home, I'd walk into my house with my shag green carpet, with my burnt orange and puke green plaited couches, you know, and I'd move them all around. And I'd get up in front of that living room with the furniture moved around, and I would start preaching to thousands of imaginary people. Y'all, I was good, too. When I got done, they all got saved. I would baptize every one of them, you know, until my little arms got tired and my ADD kicked in. Sometimes my sister would join me for church, and, but she could only sit there because, you know, we didn't honor the Spirit of God in women. and women. But I would make her do this. I'd make her call me Don the Baptist. Because I was a fiery little preacher, right? The book of Ecclesiastes says that no one can fathom what God's done from beginning to end. He's hidden eternity in the hearts of men and women. And he makes everything beautiful in his time. Eternity, my calling was into my, in my heart, soul, and spirit at a young age. And I believe that many of yours was as well. But my calling wasn't just to play church. But it was to grow up. And after understanding through a lot of sin that I can't survive without being a part of the family of God. I was living like an orphan. I was acting like an orphan. And I needed to, be, I needed to know a father. But before we can fully know the heart of the father, we've got to become a son. We've got to become a daughter. We've got to learn how to come under others who really lead from a place, not of lordship, lording and ruling things over us, but they know that Jesus' kind of leadership is a leadership of serving, of making others great. And I do want to challenge our younger generation. You guys are way smarter than I am. You're way more gifted than I am. For real. I'm not just playing. Way smart. I got 11 on my ACT. You know, it didn't help that I was hungover when I took it. That was back B.C. before Jesus. But I'm not as smart as many of y'all. Right? But I can tell you that the generation older than you, the generation older than me, has fathered me and mothered me so that I now know who I am in Jesus. And we need each other. Our calling is not to be orphans, but to be sons and daughters. And sons and daughters want to grow up to be like their mama and their daddy. That's what we're made for. Amen? So I want to just talk just a couple, for a couple of minutes about 
What will hinder us from walking in our calling? What will hinder us from walking in our calling? So a couple of things here. In Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. So he's saying you're to put on the, the full armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because when I'm trying to be strong in the power of my might, it ain't going to happen. I'm going to get overrun and undone by the enemy. The enemy has schemes. I would liken it to uh, football teams, you know. After the Friday night lights are up and the varsity team plays football, one of the first things that happens Saturday morning is the coaches gather to do this. They gather to watch the films from the night before to see how the opposition found their weaknesses and exploited their weaknesses. Then they create a plan to reduce those weaknesses. Then they watch the films of the teams that they're going to play the next week to see their weaknesses that they can exploit. Beloved, the enemy is watching our films. He's watching our films. Here's, a, here's another way to illustrate that. Anybody here like to be sold things? I, I hear some of y'all say no, but I guarantee some of y'all like to be sold things. Or like, at least like to buy things, right? Uh, I don't like it when people try to sell me. I don't like telemarketers. Uh, you know, and they have this new demonic scheme, these telemarketers out there. That they will, they will, they, they have your phone number and they look and see different area codes that your phone calls and they will shoot you back all these telemarketers telling me I got college debt and I don't have college debt. Tell me about some car thing that I, that I have that I don't have, you know. But they're, they're watching the phone, the phone numbers I make. My father-in-law lives in Shreveport. The area code there is 318. If I call my father-in-law, all right, all right. If I call my father-in-law, within three to five minutes, I'm getting telemarketers calling me from 318 and I'm thinking it's my father-in-law, you know. They have this scheme to try to hook me. And the enemy has a scheme to try to hook us. How many of us know that every fourth, uh, every fourth post on Facebook is an ad? For real. And it's not random. Uh, it's not random because Facebook has, has, has access to our search history. And they see the things that we're searching for, the things that we value, and they target those things that we value. And they'll send us all sorts of stuff. You know, the enemy is very well aware of our search history. He's very well, of the where, well aware of the things that we think about, of the things that we give ourselves to, and those are the very things that he throws at us. I think here's a great illustration of this in 1 Samuel 18. You guys know what happened in 1 Samuel 17? The Philistines gathered up against the Israelites and and all of the Israelites stopped being who they were called to be. They were called to be warriors. They were called to, to defeat the enemies of God. They were called to be led forth in battle by their king. That's what they asked God for. Give us a king who will lead us into battle. So God gave them what they asked for. But guess what? The king was afraid. And he stayed in his tent. But God anointed this unsuspected little adolescent teenager show, showing up in Tevas and Under Armour shorts. You know? Baseball cap on backwards. Who heard this enemy taunting the armies of God, taunting the very character of God. And he said, we can't tolerate this. 
And, and this, this guy would come out, this, this giant would come out, and he would intimidate the people of God with anxiety. They would buy into the anxiety, and they would run away from the battle lines that they were made to run toward. Why? Because anxiety is contagious. Many of us struggle with anxiety because we grew up in homes where there was a lot of anxiety. And anxiety is contagious. But I want to stir you up in God this morning. Because just as anxiety is, is contagious, so is courage. And we don't have to, in, we don't have to bite into that lie of fear. We don't have to be infected with anxiety and, and the fear of those around us. See, because David had a revelation of God, and that revelation of God led him to run to the battle lines. And he took the very sword that the enemy taunted him with, tried to intimidate him with, and he took that very sword from him and cut his head off. And at the moment that he killed the giant, what happened? All the Israelite army went after the Philistines. Why? Because courage is contagious. May God give us his courage this morning. So the very next thing that happens in chapter 18, one of the things starting in verse 8. Nope, nope, nope. Let's start back in verse 6. Nope, nope, nope. Let's start back in verse 5. 18.5 says that whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the, all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with uh, timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang this, Saul has killed his thousands. And I'm sure that when he heard that, he just kind of stuck his chest out. Yes, I have. You bet. I, yes, ma'am, you bet. But then they added another line, and David has killed his tens of thousands. He heard the story that the people were singing very next thing that happened, he had an emotional reaction. Saul was angry at this refrain. This displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What can he get but the very kingdom? And from that day on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit came from God forcibly on Saul, and he was prophesying lies about his house. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul took a spear in his hand, he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had departed from Saul. And so he sent David away and gave him command over a thousand men and he led the troop in their campaigns. And, and Saul saw how successful he was and he was afraid of David. You know what Saul did? He, he heard the song of the world. And he believed that story. Now, part of that story was true because David would go on and kill more men than Saul, but it wasn't David. It was the Spirit of God upon David's life. It was the leadership of God upon David's life, right? And I think it's interesting that Saul gave David how many men? A thousand men. Thinking, let him go up against 10,000. I'm just going to give him a thousand men. I'm going to mess with his destiny. I'm going to try to pin him to the wall with fear and anxiety. I'm going to try to destroy his life. But David didn't live under the same narrative that Saul lived under. Beloved, when we buy into the narrative of the enemy, we live a very small life, a small self-centered life. Not just that, when we even live 
under the narratives of our own mind, in our own mind, we live a small life. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the world, we don't wage wars the world does. On the, on the, on the contrary, we have divine power to demolish every stronghold and every pretentious thought or vain imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know, God, not God, the enemy wants to divide the people of God. You know, when Paul says to live a life worthy of the Lord, the next thing he says is be humble, be patient, bear one with one another. He says, contend for the unity of the Spirit. Why is he saying that? Because he knows that relationship's not easy. Even the Ten Commandments, the first four are about how we relate to God. The last six are about how we relate to each other. The greatest commandment, the second greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You can't, you can't remove the second from the first. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that one of the greatest commands? Because it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. But when we're empowered by God's Spirit, when we're walking in the body of Christ, speaking the truth of one, speaking the truth in love to one another, the truth in love to one another, we grow up to be more like God. But what does the enemy want? He wants to divide us. He wants us to get offended. He wants us to buy into the dumb narrative that we're telling ourselves. That narrative of, hey, did you see how that person just looked at you? Yeah, that didn't feel good. And what do we do? We isolate. We pull away. We get offended. That narrative of, hey, they're having a party and I wasn't invited. There, that narrative of, you know, I mean, nobody wants to be my friend. I don't know how to relate to people. That narrative of, it's always everybody else's fault. When we live under that narrative, we're never going to grow up and experience the fullness that we're made for. And I believe that when we live with a victimized mindset, we're living under an immature, demonic, fake, pretentious narrative that we're not made for. I can't help but to believe that David lived in a different narrative because he knew that God anointed him and empowered him for great things. Even right before the story of Saul living out of, out of a deceptive narrative, uh, you know, something else happened. Jonathan and David got connected and they became one in spirit. Word of God says that Jonathan put his cloak on David and gave him his belt, his, his tunic, and gave him his, his, his bow. And it wasn't just, hey, here's my outfit, you know. Uh, honestly, beyond, I love clothes, but most of, most of the great clothes I got are hand-me-downs from James Mark, James Mark Gully. And I'm thankful for it. But, you know, him giving me his clothes is not going to make me a worship leader in any church. But when Jonathan gave David his cloak, he was giving him something much more than a cloak. He was giving him the cloak of the next king. And he was prophetically making a statement that he would make verbally later. He was saying, you are going to be the king, and I'll be second to you. I'll be second to you. You are made for greatness, and it will be my joy to serve you. You know what's cool about that? It wasn't just about Jonathan. Jonathan was living out a picture of Jesus. What would Jesus do? He would give us his cloak. We've been clothed with righteousness, not because of anything that we've done but because of what He has done. And I don't know if you know Jesus or not, but I do know this. He sees you right where you're at. He loves you right where you're at. 
and He wants to save you. He wants to do for you something you could never do for yourself. 